0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hurt, hurt! Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like
2: a radio station.
1: Now, here are your hosts
0: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers.
1: Pure athlete, yeah. a transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk, <laughs>
0: man. I back
1: it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets so. up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. But before we do, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of this edition of Longhorn Blitz. You can get this show anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, and don't forget to leave us a review, and uh, if you'd give us five stars, we would greatly appreciate it. But let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing great, man. How about you?
0: Matt, as the NBA playoffs goes on, you know your workload slowly dwindles. Yes, sir. Where are you at right now? Oh, man, right now is, like, the perfect time because you still got, like, say, conference semis. Okay. So there's just enough to be able to keep it going. But was happy uh was able to crack into the top 50 <laughs> rankings of Daily Fantasy NBA guys. So you I guess. had pretty good this past week. And watching P.J. Tucker and Kevin Durant is basically, like, the focus of the NBA right now. So it's really cool seeing something like, you know, Texas guys on the forefront.
1: If you folks want to know what Matt does for a living, there's a reason I call him a daily fantasy guru, because
0: that's pretty much it, right, Matt? Yes, sir. (laughs) NBA is the main part. Uh, There's other little things to pluck from, but... NBA's the moneymaker.
1: Yeah, when Matt starts talking about WNBA fantasy or <laughs> NASCAR or whatever. Um, it goes. I've over never
0: head, done but. NASCAR, I'll give you that, but <laughs> I, I am not opposed to it.
1: That's why he's the guru. A uh, man who's a guru on multiple fronts because he's a renaissance man and he's just that good at what he does is the third member of our team. He is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Hey, Rod, real quick, before we get uh, a—I don't want to get off on this tangent, uh, but I would encourage— All Longhorn fans, if you need to get caught up on your recruiting information, your recruiting intel, and it is a busy recruiting time, Mm -hmm. get over to Horns 24-7. Check out what Mike Roach and Nick Harris are doing right now, handling everything on the front lines as far as recruiting goes. Massive visit weekend. Uh, Headline by Arch Manning's unofficial visit. Everything sounds like it went as well as it possibly could. Texas very much in the mix for Arch Manning. Son of Cooper Manning, nephew of Peyton and Eli Grandson of Archie, in case you didn't know If you need a refresher on that But the Manning family story with Texas There's a couple of different ties Archie Manning played a couple of years in Houston with Earl Campbell So there's that tie And Eli Manning was almost a Texas longhorn And Rod Had Ole Miss not hired David Cutcliffe mm-hmm. Eli Manning would have been in your recruiting class 99? Yeah,
0: pretty crazy It's crazy
1: yeah, and I know so it, it wasn't as like widespread. Like the internet was, I don't want to say primitive, but maybe it was primitive mm-hmm. in '99. Definitely. I'm guessing you didn't have a ton of contact with Eli Manning during that process.
2: No, um, and I don't know who, which one was prioritized, Sims or Manning. You know what I mean? But it's a hell of a class. He obviously going after both of them. It's just interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I never heard much about it. I didn't see it. You brought it up on Light the Tower. And CB sent me an article from, I mean, maybe like USA Today or something. I
1: think it was like, something it was like, like that. they were catching up with
2: NFL yeah. guys and going and on over there. Yeah, and Eli brought it up that, oh, yeah, Texas was pretty much in the lead until the Cutcliffe ended up going to Ole Miss, which was just mind-blowing for me. But it does show you that Mac Mac had his eyes always on a big-time QB, always mm-hmm. on a big-time QB, and even better if it's a big-time celebrity QB. Yeah. I think he'd like that even more. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was surprised by it. It's good news, though, for Texas because – It looks like if Texas can have a decent season and they don't embarrass themselves, they got a shot. Well, um, we're
1: talking about recruiting, and when you talk about recruiting, talk about our favorite topic on this show, which is player development. Rod, have have we narrowed down that the sickness plaguing Texas, have we narrowed it down that the sickness that's plagued this program for the last decade pretty much boils down to
2: any way you want to slice it, player development or lack thereof? It does, but that's a multifactorial issue. We were talking about this right. on the show. Everybody keeps saying, oh, it's development, development. It's like, yeah, every, it's easy, okay? Mm-hmm. But is it is it the players you're bringing in? Are you bringing in the wrong guys? All right, you're still bringing in top recruiting classes, but all those guys aren't necessarily hits. They're all not going to um, hit it. They're Five stars that miss at Bama, right? Mm-hmm. So are you? is it mis-evaluations that you're bringing in? That's got to be part of it. Then it's the systems that you're running. Here, you've got your 10th different play caller since 2010 okay. in there. A new system, yeah. new terminology, a new way of thinking, a new technique they're teaching, new terminology, all this kind of stuff. And you're trying to develop players within that model, what's your 7th, 8th offensive line coach in that time span. I lost it's really count. hard to develop talent without consistency. So that's a big part of it too, right? The turnover and then the lack of uh, an identity, whether it be offensively or defensively. And then when you have an identity, you recruit to that, right? When you have a system, you recruit to that system. You develop within that system. You're not even recruiting guys outside of that. Certain air raid teams are like, no, no, we know what we want. Insert quarterback here. Just add this ingredient, add that ingredient, and boom, we got our our system dictates this is going to be the result. Texas really hasn't really had that. They've had a different offensive system every other year. Um, and they've had different turnover, different coaches, different goals, different, like I said, terminology, different technique. Every other year, pretty much, hard to develop talent like that. So that's a big part of it, too. And I think, you know, the culture. I mean, let's, let's be honest. The culture has been toxic as well, just overall. I mean, it's hard to develop. Just how you know the toxic culture has been bad, it's affected the coaching development. Mm-hmm. There are coaches who come here, and all of a sudden, they're terrible coaches? All of them. Oh, man, that guy's an idiot. Now he's coaching in. the coaching Auburn. He's an idiot. Yeah. Manny Diaz was an idiot when he was here, but now you know what I mean? he's coaching at Miami. Maybe it's where you get those coaches in their growth, development, and all that. Maybe we're getting them at the wrong time. But they don't all become imbeciles. They're not. You know what I mean? They're not coaching idiots when they come here, and all of a sudden they leave here and they're better. It's a toxic environment here. It's hard to be a good coach here. I, I've talked to coaches. It's hard. Yeah. There's a lot going on. A lot of politics behind the scenes. Hell, sometimes Mac wasn't even available to his coaches. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Mac has changed. Max, Max now looking like more the old Mac when you know when I was on the 48th. The young and, old Mac. Yeah, the one that was more Kennedy esque and not Nixon esque. Yes. You know what I mean? But. The whole point is, though, it's hard for coaches to develop. You're getting all those different things. It's multifactorial. It's not just, ah, you got to develop talent. No, no, no. Well, yeah, but how do you develop that talent? In what system are you developing that talent? Are you bringing in the right guys for your specific culture? All those things. And the
0: multitude of factors because, I mean, you talk about the specific coaches, right? It's really hard in a short window to be immediately handed something new and be able to diagnose, correct, fix, and then repeat. Because even if you do do it well one year, the continuity hasn't been there. So just the idea of being able to – you have to be able to adapt to your surroundings and you're in a surrounding that you've never probably ever been in. So, like, there's so many things that add these layers. And we've talked about the continuity aspect and just the uh, benefit that we felt Texas was – Getting towards by the, you know, like say 2019, 20, because like, all right, this staff maybe has things rolling. We may be able to get a handful of years where a group of kids has the mm-hmm. same code. But they, I mean, and then it quickly flips on you again, and you're back to what we've been talking about that constant cycle. And it's almost like a rinse and repeat thing right now. And Texas fans are just trying, it's constantly rinsing and have never been able to repeat.
1: The development is the, uh, for Texas, is a, it's a Hydra like uh, creature. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Rob, multiple heads on this deal. But let's talk about player development. And my, I mentioned this last week. We were going to look at it, and I really wanted to read it and digest it before we talked about it here on the show. Talked about it on, on uh, my program with Craig Way, Light the Tower. Rod, I don't know you guys have talked about it on the Triple Option. But Let's dive into it here on the Ooh. Blitz. Chris Hummer's Development Rating Story, it's my favorite article, my favorite piece that comes out on the 24-7 it's Sports Network man. every year. E-dive. Looking at, it's a running data set tracking top 247 prospects. So if you're one of the top 247 recruits at 24-7 Sports, nice little play on terminology there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are off our in-house rankings. And looking at those, this year the data set is the five-year period between twenty—the the 2012 and 2016 recruiting classes and looking at how well teams developed talent. And obviously Alabama's been the best in the country, 61 top 247 eligible signees. And again, this goes back to our our qualifiers last week and our talk about bust rate and how we determine bust rate and success yep. rate when I track this for Texas. Uh, I love that Chris does this, and this is kind of where I molded mine after, the, the again, the initial conversation Matt and I had. We needed some qualifiers, and I kind of went with these qualifiers. Uh, so to more accurately represent how a program develops, players 24-7 sports remove four categories of prospects from the data. Players who were dismissed, players who didn't qualify, players who medically retired, players who transferred after two or fewer seasons on campus. If a player stayed three years and transferred, they counted against the team's not quote not drafted tab if a player transferred and was drafted elsewhere they count for the team to which they transferred so like kyler murray doesn't he counts against texas a&m he counts for oklahoma if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense so alabama 61 top 247 prospects signed between uh, 2012 and 2016 65.6% sixty five point six percent of those prospects have been drafted yeah. and chris basically has uh basically you get points awarded for your uh draft slot basically if it pretty much based on your it's it's kind of like a i don't know sliding scale might not be the right term but uh it's kind of like it's basically a table that you get awarded point values based on where you ranked as a mm-hmm. recruit and where you were drafted. Yeah. So basically, if you were at the bottom and if you're ranked 201 to 247, and you're drafted on day one, which means now you're a first-round pick, you get your your team gets three and a half points.
2: Yeah, for you.
1: So the lower you are, the higher yeah. your draft. The that likelihood
2: means, is that top 50 guys get drafted more oftentimes than not. Right, because a top 50, yeah.
1: uh, top 50 guy drafted on day one, it's two and a half
2: points. Yeah. So, it's the lower end of the scale. Yeah, you expect. Yeah, there's more h- higher ceiling with yeah. those guys. If you're developing. Two forty prospects into first round draft picks, then man, you're on the extreme end, of the successful extreme right. end of the spectrum. So, looking at
1: this list, the good news is Texas is no longer last right. on this list. Out of twenty seven eligible teams, Texas is twenty fifth. Uh, you guys, sometimes you got to cry to uh, laugh to keep from crying. Baby steps, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, 25 eligible top 247 prospects <laughs> for Texas, 28% of them drafted a 0.43 development rating. And I think this kind of puts in perspective when you look at the teams at the bottom. It kind of look at where they are as programs. Like we'll just start with this, right? Arkansas. Like you think about where Arkansas was in 2012, under Bobby Petrino, where yeah. they're coming off of, you know, mm-hmm. playing in, they're coming off of playing in bowl game. They had a Sugar Bowl appearance at one point, and then they had that weird John L. Smith year in yeah, there somewhere. Year. I forget where that was. Was that 2011 or 2012? I forget. Uh, and then you have you know, Brett Bielema comes in, and you get an uptick in recruiting. And it's Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You're in the SEC. There are four SEC programs at the bottom of this list, ranked 21 through 27. Uh, because you're always going to have good a good recruiting class if you're in the SEC, if you're a decent team in that league. Uh, so Arkansas at 21, Mississippi State at 23, South Carolina at 24. A lot of coaching turnover yeah. for those programs. At 26 below Texas is Texas A&M, which – you, when you think about it, you're like, well, I think the it's Aggies sunny. should be higher, yeah. but now you've got a lot, of, and AM has been higher on this list, but now you've got a lot of those Mike Sherman recruiting classes coming yep. off of the books. And the
2: Summy, too. And
1: this is, yeah, this is the meat of the Kevin Sumlin mm-hmm. era where you should have taken all that momentum you had from that 2012 season Johnny, with Johnny Manziel's yep. Heisman Heisman winning season, you had all that momentum, and Rod, this shows. They didn't really do anything
2: No, like they that. didn't. I mean, Aggie fans know that, too. I mean, obviously, that's why Jimbo, what Jimbo Fisher's there. head coach mm-hmm. That's why they moved on, because they did. The expectations were really high, and it should have been, because, mm-hmm. I mean, Johnny Manziel was on the cover of Time magazine. It was wrong. He was the most popular <laughs> guy he on, around. Like, like, he was on the cover of Time magazine. He should have done. That's how popular Johnny Manziel was As a college quarterback, as he was about as,
0: Man- as much of a celebrity as you can find. I totally Johnny agree. Manziel
1: yeah. should have done for Texas A&M what Ricky Williams did for Texas. That's
0: a great point.
2: I agree with you. Yeah.
1: Because Rod, you were Boy, a you were recruited at that time. Yeah. Texas, made
2: Texas, the IT school. Texas suddenly it became the Texas cool the place sexy, to be. Sexy IT school. Yep. Yeah, and it should it have been there. And, M&M and it aligned so perfectly for
0: him because they got to the SEC, and that's when Johnny was unleashed. Yep. In that season, it was a perfect little setup. for them. They couldn't have scripted it to start better. They really couldn't. So,
1: so a lot of coaching turnover. Coach, really, if you look at the bottom of the list, coaching turnover and/or program turmoil. Like you think about everything Michigan State's been through mm-hmm. in the last three or four years. Yeah. They're 22nd on this list. Oregon, a lot of coaching turnover. They're they're dead last on this list. Oregon is, and then you got Texas at 25th at 25, and we know about the issues that Texas has had. So, Rob, this is just another data set. If you want to look at why this program has struggled. To get wins on the field, to be relevant in the top 25, to be relevant in the Big 12 title discussion, be relevant in the national championship discussion, why when the NFL draft comes around, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe Texas doesn't produce first-round picks. It's all right here. It's all right here to tell you why that's Mm. happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's why five stars like Garrett Wilson— Who at one point was playing football right here in Texas backyard, straight up said, Man, guys go there and about what, fifteen minutes from where we're sitting right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Guys go there and disappear. Good good players. I know they're good players. I played with them, played against them. They yeah. go there and then I never hear from them again. <laughs> and, I, I and, can, and that's and that's the reality of mm-hmm. it right now. That's the narrative. But that narrative can easily shift and change. And I think slowly but surely, and even Chris Homer brought this up, it is starting to. Yeah. You're getting some of those really bad bust rate classes off Man. the books for Texas. Yeah. Because uh, what you got – so this is 2012 to 17. 12, 12 to 16. 12 to 16. Yeah, so, you, you know, to, I think 2000 – once you get past, like, 2013, then you'll oh, so be – I think then Texas bit, yeah. will exponent. I think they'll leapfrog, especially if we continue to see them surging in the right So
1: direction. Texas should kind of even out next year when this study yeah. comes out because – you, you are going to take a hit because you're going to have Malcolm Brown drop off. When the 12 class drops off, mm-hmm. you're going to lose Malcolm Brown, who was the last first-round pick.
2: Yeah, you got until program. that 13 drops off. It's still going to be bad. You're,
1: you're getting the 17 class, and when you talk about top 247 prospects, that's Sam Ellinger and Saquon Graham are going to count towards that. Yeah. So a lot of NFL that, hit rate in that, that class. That helps you out. And you're going to go through a cycle now with the 16 class. Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay. Brandon Jones, all those guys were top 247 guys, so they're going to and all those guys were drafted. Granted, the sliding scale Duvernay and Jones are going to count more than Colin Johnson, just based on, and Colin's kind of evens out too, based on where he was ranked and where he's drafted, but yeah. I digress. So you're getting into a time where, similar to the results on the field, it's going to be better. It's going to look a little more mm-hmm. palatable, not where it should be, considering the brand and everything else we talk about with Texas and where this program was at one point, but it's, slowly it's kind of like the battleship turning around you're slowly yeah. seeing it kind of get going in the right direction
2: yeah I think uh, you know a lot of what Sark is bringing to the table will help and only the reason I say that is because I don't know if Sark's gonna be a success or not but you go look at you know a lot of what offensively has happened on the 40x the offensive identity crisis man that has really been disastrous on, like, the bus rate and your NFL hitch rate, mm-hmm. because you're going to look at all the talent Texas had coming through here offensively the last, I mean, you go to 2000. I don't know, 2011 through 13 or 14, it's a lot of guys who weren't maximized, weren't optimized, and they never got a chance to hit their ceiling here, so they never got the real NFL look. They never got a true, yeah. real NFL evaluation. And some of those guys didn't matter, still went to NFL. Malcolm Brown, the running back, right? Didn't matter. Uh, Garrett Gilbert got lost in that muck, too, and it mm-hmm. didn't matter. Go look at all, I mean, go look at the five stars Texas had we'll get uh, to brought that in. in. Yeah, they brought in on the offensive side of the ball. Those guys some of those guys really didn't even make an impact on the field, and some of them just didn't make enough of an impact. You're a Jonathan Grays of the world, or, that kind of thing. I mean, Malcolm
0: Brown's a really good NFL player now. Not many people know he went to Texas. He's yeah. just sort of like, people are like, yeah. he was a five-star guy? Yeah. You know, like those yep. are the type of thing. And that's the exact example that we're sort of talking about.
1: Yep. You know, Marcus Johnson, I remember, Marcus Johnson was plagued by maybe like one of the darkest times we've seen for quarterback play mm-hmm. in the history of this program, and that's that's saying something because we've seen some bad quarterback years, but I remember, like last year, he had a he had a breakout game for the Colts, and the you know Philip Rivers. I saw Philip Rivers post game, and he was talking about he's like, man, I like, I remember in mini camp. He's like, he's like, and I don't know. Guys by names, he's like I just know numbers, but he's like, man, the '83 looks really good. Like he's he's fast, <laughs> and he's catching balls. Like, that, that, dude's a good, that dude can play, and I'm like, yeah, I, I know he can play. He just, it just didn't happen
0: all the time. Exactly at Texas, it so he didn't. was one of those when guys as he a right freshman. He but, uh, showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. You're like, man, he might be the best hit like, nice. getting snaps day one. Yeah. It's like to what your, to yep. your
1: point, Rod? Like Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown's got what? His th- he's on his third contract. Third yeah. contract in, third in the contract league. Third contract right. is an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. You've you been in that league. They don't give scrubs multiple contracts.
2: Especially at running back. Man. And not many five-star <laughs> guys become yeah. undrafted
0: free
1: agents. Yeah. Trey Hopkins, Trey Hopkins is on a on a 20 million dollar deal Another with the Bengals. One. Yeah. Like it's it's just frustrating. And, and I think too, and I'm I'm looking for some of my, my five-star numbers cuz we'll talk about five stars here in just a mm-hmm. second but it's it's the inability to and I think this goes back to rod right, the offensive identity crisis it goes into this, these unsavory studies that goes into the results on the field or lack thereof, and I talked about this during draft time, like the inability to develop guys at premium positions.
2: Oh, yeah, it's good. Quarterbacks, like
1: yep. left tackles. In this day and age, wide receiver wide you can consider. Those are like your branding
0: position? positions. Those are the yeah. popular ones that are going to go f- carry some weight nationally.
1: Yeah, like, you know, how many teams in the Big 12 have had a quarterback drafted in the first round since Texas last had one. Okay, well, Vince Young was the last quarterback Texas had Long go time. in the first round. Yeah. You know, we know, I know Baylor's had one. Oklahoma State. Eh? I know Oklahoma State's had one. Yeah. I know Texas Tech has had one. Oh, Oklahoma's oh. had two go number one overall. Mm-hmm. And that's just half the league. Kansas Kansas State's had one.
0: Iowa yeah. State may
2: get one even Freeman. though he's not. Yeah, I forgot about Josh Freeman. <laughs> <Yeah>. So,
0: <laughs> it's,
1: I mean, offensive tackles. Mm. What to talk about Texas hadn't had a tackle draft in the first round since Mike Williams in 2002. We're coming up on 20 years, 20 a 20 year gap between first round picks on the offensive line. We know there's not going to be one next year. Yeah, 20 years. that yeah. you haven't had a tackle
2: draft. Exactly. So when you are a premium, you're at a premium position, and you are a premium player. You're a five star player. You're one of those top notch blue chips. You know you do have to question. You know whether you want to go to Texas or not. If you're if you're from state, like why would Mm -hmm. you go there when the success rate is so low? Unfortunately, that is what the negative recruiting is against Texas and. You you hate to throw out negative recruiting because usually that implies that it's some deceit or they're being dishonest. No, you can just pull out the raw numbers against mm -hmm. Texas and the facts and go, listen, man, it's been multiple coaches come through here and none of them can still develop the NFL talent. It's it's Texas. I wouldn't go there. So that's the narrative that Sark has to change and he's got to do it quickly because if he doesn't, he can end up you know, really kind of drowning in this sea. Yeah. If, if A&M ends up having a really good year and teams around them in the Big 12 end up having Oklahoma's good years. Oklahoma's not going anywhere. Oklahoma's not going anywhere. They're going to have one of their best years ever. That's just the reality. That's what
1: makes the 2020 season all the more frustrating for me, Rod, Looking <laughs> just looking back on it as we kind of recap that thing and slowly dissect what went wrong. You had – multiple-year starter and an NFL draft pick at quarterback. Yeah. You had one at left tackle. Mm-hmm. You had one at Rusher. You You had gotten to the point, and Ellinger and Osai, they were top 247 guys, you got to the point where now you've got guys that have NFL value at premium positions. You did. And had those guys hit their ceiling, one, they would have been drafted earlier than they were. Two, you would have won more games than you did. And three, Tom Herman would probably still be the head coach of Texas if all three of those guys had hit their ceilings.
2: Uh, Yeah, because Sam Ellinger unfortunately regressed, as we all know. Um, And Joseph Osai, it was misplaced early on in mm-hmm. evaluation. I think it ended up helping, actually, his NFL prospects because he played multiple positions. But in terms of his development as an edge rusher, as a pass rusher, which is the premium you're talking about, yeah, he he didn't develop a real um, a repertoire of pass rushing moves. He got by on he, motor. He got by on motor and just sheer <laughs> sure will. A, a lot self-made of times, self exactly. made man. Yeah, so that's a little bit unfortunate, and that's why Todd Orlando ended up a new home. And you and Herb Hand, we don't even need to get into Herb Hand and what some of the scouts have said about Sam Cosmi. And he calls him Herb Hand. Yeah, Herb Hand and Sam Cosme and his disastrous technique and flawed foundation oh, as, a, as a tackle. So, yeah, I, yeah so it, it goes back to everything you're saying. I mean, that's uh, – by the way, Tom Herman brought that guy in. I mean, that was the guy he brought in to fix the offensive line. And that's <laughs> – you
1: know, uh, staff makeup is a big part of this, Rod. It is. And I like the fact that it – we can go back and look at Tom Herman's initial staff. Like, let's just talk about initial staffs real quick, right? Like, we, we've gone on this show and talked about – you know, I've compared Sark's staff to, like – I compared it to, like, John Makovic's first, mm-hmm. first staff and Max's first staff. And I talked to, you know, a longtime Texas donor at the Touchdown Club of Houston function, and they told me, they said, the, you know, the one thing that's got me excited about Sark, he said, this staff is the best staff since, like, Fred Aker's staff in 77. He's like, this staff is that good. Yeah. And I go back to Tom Herman's staff, and specifically on the offensive side, and he had a lot of young guys on that mm-hmm. staff. I mean, you had Tim Beck, and Stan Drayton had been there a while. He's been around in the game a while, but I mean, Derek Wareheim, Drew Maringer, Corby Meekins, I don't know if those guys were ready to be in a place like Texas in their careers. And it just seemed like Tom Herman had a bunch of assistant coaches, specifically on offense. Like Defensive staff is a, is a different animal. Todd Orlando brought his guys from Houston, and if mm-hmm. he's going to be your defense coordinator, whatever. Don't fault him. And some of those guys, Craig Niver, Jason Washington, they proved to be really good recruiters, and Oscar Giles has a track record to Texas, yep. so I am think a lot of people question the defensive staff, and over time, a lot of those guys proved their worth. But you go to the offensive side of the ball, and it just seemed like Tom Herman hired guys that would just kind of – I mean, he used the term alignment. Mm-hmm. I call it more falling in line, mm. like guys that – Maybe he felt like intellectually wouldn't question him as much. <laughs> comfort hires? Or, or where he was, comfort hires, whatever terminology you want to use. It's it, a
0: good it distinction just, to make, though. It yeah. just
1: felt like he just basically wanted to construct that room in a way where he was going to have the final say and that was going to be it. Now, we know the buck stops with Sark on offense, but a guy like Kyle Flood, a guy like Jeff Banks, you get to know the personalities of some of these guys, and it seems like there are guys in that offensive meeting room that might be willing to buck back a little bit and present good ideas or challenge his ideas mm. and push him to be a better thinker or a better play caller or a better decision maker or whatever. And I think you've got to have – there's got to be that fine line. It can't drift into the realm of discontent or mm. uncivil discourse but if you've got a little bit of that back and forth, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, Rod, you were at Texas. Man, every meeting Tim Brewster was in probably wasn't just a good let's get around a campfire, sing kumbaya kind of meeting. I mean, you got to have guys in there yeah. that are willing to push back a little bit and present ideas and be willing to tell the head coach or the play caller, no, I think that's a terrible idea, or why don't we look at it this way, or why don't we do it this way, rather than just everybody saying, all right, cool, whatever you want to do, let's roll with it.
2: Yeah, I, I think another part of it, because um, I agree with you. I think another part of it, though, is that Tom Herman just hadn't been a coach very long and didn't have a lot of connections. Coaching is connections. Yeah. The reason Sark's going to bring in a lot of these guys, Sark's been around a long time. <laughs> yeah. He's been around a long time. Been around a lot of places. And been around league, a lot of people with been, a lot of people. Yeah, West Coast, you know, come back to Bama and the SEC and the Pac-12. You've been around long enough in the coaching profession, you just make connections, and you end up realizing, like, oh, man, I made a connection. I was... You know, I I was um, talking to a friend of mine about Joe Brady the other day. Joe Brady and Matt Rule met at like a coaching clinic, and like years, like years ago, like before he went to LSU. And Matt Rule was like, "I want this guy, dude. He's sharp. He's sharp as hell." Did obviously, you know, life goes on, a couple of years, realize, hey, that dude, I told that's you that dude that was guy. sharp as hell, man. I knew that guy was legit. All right, you know what? I'm going after him. I got to reconnect with this guy. And that's kind of how coaching works. So not saying Tom Herman couldn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm the head coach at Texas. You want this job? Yeah, you mm-hmm. can do that. But coaches are all about whether they trust you. I'm moving my family across the country mm-hmm. yeah. for you. Do I trust you? Or are you going to stab me in the back? Which, by the way, Tom Herman did to his staff. A <laughs> couple, yeah. right? yeah. couple of times, right? A couple of times. He kept those guys on a hook. One-year contract. Remember that thing? One-year deals. I want you all to prove it. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. Coach, I'm moving my family. You aren't commit <laughs> to me? <laughs> I need you to commit to me. I understand what Tom Herman was doing, but this is, that's what I'm saying. Coach is about connections. Coaches want to know, you're going to take care of me. You're going to look out for me. That kind of thing. They, mm-hmm. they want to believe it's a brotherhood. So, from a sense, I'm not saying Tom Herman didn't, doesn't have his brothers and the guys he's cool with. He just hadn't been coaching long enough to make a ton of those connections. And I know a lot of coaches, and that's kind of what it's about. Whether you won't trust a coach enough to make that leap. Listen, here in Texas, we fire a lot of coaches. Yeah. That's a reputation, though. <laughs> so you want me to bring my family across the country when y'all fire coaches every, assistant coaches every other year around here? I, would, you know, I mean like. I can be. I can stay at another place. And I can have a little bit more. You know, I can have a little bit more stability. That kind of thing. So I think for Tom Herman. Convincing those coaches to come work with him when there were, you know, rumors that oh man, he might be done. Oh, he had to no overhaul his coaching staff. twice. Yeah, it does exactly like the coaches. They know they they call other coaches and go, "Hey man, give me the mm-hmm. real." I would not kid. I would not come. Just like players do, right? We were yeah. players that were telling players, telling recruits, "Don't come here. Don't come here. It's mm-hmm. terrible." Mm-hmm. Coaches do the same thing. <laughs> Don't come here, dog. They'll fire you real quick. Yeah, you get some money, but man, you be looking for a job in a year. So I think that's, part, I that's a big start, part of it,
1: too. When you get into a coach, and this has happened the last couple regimes, when you get to a certain point and I start getting contacts from you know, coaches interested in jobs or whatever, and yeah. college coaches calling me, and the first question I get is, what the hell's going on over there? Exactly. What
2: the hell's going on over there, man? It's Texas. <laughs> exactly. But now, open checkbooks, paying a lot of money, and there's there's belief that there's unanimity behind the scenes yeah. with Jay Hartzell, so CDC, Kevin L. Type, that now behind the burnt orange curtain, there is alignment, to use Tom Herman's word, and now you will have a little bit more stability going forward. And so, and remember, Sark was big out the coaching staff liking one another. That's yeah. big. You want to know why that's big? Because the coaching staff doesn't like one another. It's, it's fine to challenge each other. Just it's like, like a work to, environment. Debates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine to challenge each other, but have respect. But when you right. don't, you literally don't like yeah. the other coaches. Oh. It can be hell. It can be hell. And and that has happened. See
1: Charlie Strong's offensive staff from 14 to
2: 15. Yes, and it it happens really easy. You go like, damn, I put the staff together and they don't even like each other. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. Personality, like you said, you want the right personality. PK's not going to sit back and allow Sark to... Try to question him on the defensive side of the ball. Or, you know what I mean, or intercede on the defensive side of the ball. I'm sure he respects him, but that's the kind of guy you're talking about, a guy who basically can be a head coach on the defense for you. That's what you have in PK. That's kind of how Sark set it up because Sark is going to be almost tunnel vision, which may be a liability on offense. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. that's just the way he's calling the damn place. I mean It's a type he's, of his offense is calling the place Even Rick Neuhaus brought that up with Chip Brown. That's going to be a question because in the Pac-12 that was an issue for him. Mm-hmm. And he was too tunnel focused, too much tunnel vision on offense, and oftentimes we we'll miss out on managing the game. You need coaches around you To help you manage the game. If because you can't do it, you like I, a right I don't have the time hand to do that. that yeah, hand. I need a guy whether it's AJ Mill somebody. Hey, man, hey, coach, 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 you got this much time left. This is the right. down. This is you got to worry about this. We got we got to think if we punt and we do this or we gonna get the ball back in this amount time. All that kind of stuff. Because he may lose track of it. That's that's about trust.
0: Yep. About trust. And trust, you're talking about there, the idea, the ecosystem sort of that is fostered by the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's very similar to just like a group of parents and how you raise your kids and if the parents are having trouble you may have that trickle down to the kids and it's the same thing with the coaching staff and if there's points of contention if they don't like being at work together if exactly they, and whenever you brought up Sark initially it really reminded me I mean and Texas fans will remember back but it was back the young guys on that USC staff and the connections that mm-hmm. have been formed and I really sure. think it goes it's valued the Kiffin family is really big in alignment with Sark and when you're talking talking. About guys that you trust in a Rolodex of coaches and being in like that type of environment. A guy like you and Lane Kiffin were the youngsters on that offensive staff that were the QB coaches. And you've seen sort of where Sark replaced Lane once Lane was there at Alabama. And like there's been you've heard them reference one another when talking about Mm -hmm. their current situations or former situations. And when you talk about having that never-ending list of guys that and connections you've made and those type of things. Things that it's no fault of Tom Herman But Tom Herman was a young coach That maybe coach. hadn't had those Or yeah. his one that he was connected to Was the urban staff that sort of had been gone Or dissipated at that point So you don't have that expansive list Or you aren't a guy like Mack Brown And came out up under Bar- Bobby Bowden And Barry Switzer And then now mm-hmm. you have the resources at Texas So whenever you do You at least can be confident that you can put together The staff that's going to align with you And then you'll have guys on your staff in that room That can have those conversations Conversations, sort of like your hey, hey dumbass coach and that type of guy that tells coach I don't know if we should be doing that or I don't <laughs> yeah. know you maybe didn't tr- uh, treat him fairly in that situation or let's yeah. sit him down and let's talk to these kids this way and that's the type of ecosystem that you want to have because and I mean I always bring stuff around NBA because that's what I follow in my mind but if you follow the Clippers right now and the big difference between last season and what the problems were certain people mainly Montrez Harrell not able to take constructive criticism takes it th- quite personally, and then they Mm. felt as if they could never fix those issues and it became something that you could see playing out on the court. And they looked like kids that were mad at each other or lost or couldn't talk to one another. And it was only because they were coming from a place of trying to fix the issues don't take it personal there's nothing personal going on here there are great quotes from Kawhi Leonard in in the way Kawhi speaks he's like it's not as if you're doing anything bad or anything we just want to win and there's a personal accountability that if you can't take those things personal or if you're afraid to say those things to say your coach Tom Herman or something like that you don't want to have those conversations because you feel sub like you're an insubordinate you're somebody that would be going against it it's like no just because I'm Maybe below you in the pecking order doesn't mean I'm being insubordinate. I'm trying to make this yeah. a situation that's better, and it's only out of accountability. So those are the type of things that seem basic. But if that's an issue, that's a huge issue that you may never be able to get away from, and that's why it's good to see something maybe in a different direction now.
1: I think what Matt said just kind of reinforces for me that nothing is guaranteed. And we talked about, mm-hmm. Rod, we don't know if Sark's going to succeed or not because Look at the last two guys Texas hired. Like Charlie Strong clearly he didn't burn the bridge with Urban Meyer. Yeah. No. But Charlie just didn't just I can't I can't put into words just how bad that initial staff was. <laughs> it, it was it was awful like especially um, specifically the offense Sean stat. Watson hire? it was brutal it yeah. was it was terrible yeah and it was bad. you know like when you look at Sark I know through the hiring process Sark tried not to burn that bridge with Nick Saban and time will tell where their relationship Oh, he burned, he burned it but Sark <laughs> didn't burn the bridge with Dan Quinn he didn't burn the bridge with Pete Carroll he can still he can still talk of those guys
2: Yeah, but Nick Saban's a little tired of people poaching his coaches. Right, and he said but, he's, he's literally said I'm tired of my. I have no problem my coaches leaving them great. I want them to leave and get great jobs. But then they come back and start stealing the coaches that I hired. Right, and, and then he, my buddy, he's, like, he's, like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. So he's like, that's and what he's that got a problem with. So Portal. I'm sure he's like burned the bridge. He doesn't like hate Sark anything, but he's tired of that. He's even tired of f- from Kirby Smart, He's right. with him by the way, what longer than any yeah, of his yeah. former yeah. assistant coaches. But Absolutely. the point, the point right, I'm, right I'm making here yeah. is like
1: with Tom Herman. Urban Meyer wouldn't throw water on Tom Herman if he was on fire. No,
2: <laughs> they don't like each other. That's no, pretty obvious. No, so but that's about you know, Zach Smith and a lot of other. A lot of. Is we that don't his name? We is don't that don't have that enough, name? Like his name, right? Yeah, we don't have enough
1: shows.
0: I know, but just, just saying, like I, think, I remember
2: some, all that. Remember yeah. all that stuff? That was crazy.
0: Even though, like Urban crazy, uh, believes in the coaching mythology so much, he still respected Tom enough to not talk about the job on TV. There was, was a, always, there was always always satellite camp cool. in Houston
1: where they almost came to blows. Man, there's just literally
0: blows. Wouldn't that be amazing? Is I yeah, Yeah. charged with assault. uh, I
1: wasn't there. I wasn't there. I talked to people who were there.
2: Yeah, it was not surprised. He almost kind of blows with Mike Gundy. (laughs) <laughs> going to blow a that makes sense. Well, apparently My he, made, apparently like. he likes. But exactly, the way. he likes that guy. He's getting the blow That's world. awesome. Well, hopefully, that yeah, sounds like a locker room. Hopefully,
1: Sark can get through games without threatening
2: bodily injury. You <laughs> forgot it. It's such a great good. scene. It's just great. Boy, all the stuff. Uh, like man, <laughs> he there's... had so many of those moments in such a short time span. <sighs> Double bird, head yeah. butting, mocking the uh, during the True with the lot. Texas Bowl. I mean, he had like five of those moments. And you're like, what the hell is Tumerman doing during that time? It's just so weird. Strange guy. Strange fellow. Yeah, man. Yeah, but you're right about this. I I agree with you about the initial staff. This staff is the best of the initial staffs of the most recent. even... You could argue it's better than Mac's reinvention staff. But remember, mm-hmm. that was a damn good staff. Yeah, that ah, one earlier. Really now Now looking back, it's like, that was a damn good that's staff. Why. They were
0: replaying <laughs> that Texas Kansas State game from uh, 2013. Staff, you talk about the man. tricky dick version of Mac. That was that one. Oh, that yeah.
1: staff is why Rod, anytime Texas had a coaching change, but oh my gosh, you, you got to throw your weight around. You got to money whip assistant. You got to get the best in
2: here. That's what they did. It is. Mm-hmm. That's it's what they did. It Ra- went around the country, and Mac did his research and hired the best young assistants in the country. Well, like, one of them's back, Bo Davis. Not- <laughs> that's funny. We should ask Bo some Guy, Nick Saban hired twice. That's how you know you're a think Bo. About,
1: think about the makeup of that staff. And other than, as much as I like him, as, other than Bruce Chambers coaching tight ends.
2: Okay, yeah, good point. <laughs> I about that Rap- was your
1: DFW Major guy. Major White's coaching running back. Stacy Searles on the offensive line. Daryl Wyatt working with receivers. Yeah, Bo Davis and Oscar Giles coaching a defensive <laughs> line. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Oscar
1: Manny Diaz is your linebackers coach in D.C. and Dwayne McKean is your freaking secondary coach Dude, was, oh and I
2: forgot Brian Harson's your play
0: caller <laughs> it was loaded man and then you that's, fill in with Robinson that was
2: like the best staff yeah. money could buy and then you ended up and then Brian Harson ended up jumping ship because he, he saw how bad Arkansas it was on State job site yeah. unseen yeah. <laughs> he, Brian Harson probably yeah. couldn't
1: find Jonesboro Arkansas on a freaking map he's like I'll take it I'll yep. get the hell out of here
2: Yeah, because that's how bad and toxic it was so I'm, I'm, I agree with you about that um, and i was say this about the staff thing it's it's I think he's got the right guys they had an open checkbook Charlie <laughs> didn't really have that and I don't, and I don't, Charles, I don't know why defense. yeah I don't and I don't know why Charlie didn't try Which, to hire more big name Urban Meyer guys from that tree he tried to hire he tried to hire Tom Herman <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he went down that road. Okay. Those well, two the right, same it just, it different. Yeah, it was just weird. And you know what? Like I said, this, I said this uh, last show behind the scenes. All those other coaches, other than Mac Brown's reinvention, Charlie and Tom, they did not have the benefit of a united front behind the scenes like yep. they have now. Like everybody loves Sark and they're supporting Sark. All everybody's in. Hell, you know, even when Mac reinvented himself, people were still mad about Nick Saban not coming. You know what I mean? And mm, and the border true. regions was split on. Oh, we should have did this, and we should have went after this guy. Uh, it's not that like that anymore. It seems like there's un- unanimity. We, That's we, a good we, point.
0: That alignment matters a lot. We, it does we, matter.
2: We, we knew when Charlie
1: got hired, it was it was fractured. It was not. Yeah. It was, it was not in a healthy place. Yeah. And, and he was not the unanimous hire by any stretch. Yeah. And he was that not was, a unifier. That was Steve Patterson's hire. And I don't know if we said it on the show, if I wrote it, if we said it out loud. But it's like, okay, Steve Patterson, you want to go against the board of regents and the donors and hire your guy?
2: Better get around, That's man.
1: fine. But understand that if he struggles. Mm. They're not gonna fire him. They're gonna fire you. That's the kind of stuff as an A D when you step out and overstep your bounds, it's the kind of stuff that gets you fired. And mm. that was one of yeah. many indiscretions yeah. that got Steve Patterson Agreed. fired. But what's interesting too with the Tom Herman thing and why, again, we talked about this, we've talked about this last couple of shows, why the alignment thing is so important. You know, Tom Herman had that early in his tenure. Like he had a president and an AD that were behind him, but it was an interim AD. And Rod, the main thing there we found out was, yeah, Chris Del Conte and Tom Herman were not as close as maybe no. at one time we thought they were.
2: Yeah, and maybe they were close at one time and then kind and of then drifted apart. apart. Uh, yeah, because they meet. Yeah, so I, I'm with you. I don't know necessarily what happened, but with Sarkia is going to benefit from a a more you know, like I said, united family behind the scenes, behind the burn on curtain. And the one thing do I worry about with because You take you taking all those coaches from Alabama, like, and I I like that bringing coaches from Alabama mm-hmm. with you. Uh, the familiarity with the system, all those things. So it's, it's less, um, I think it's less like red tape and less of that familiarity process you got to go through to get to know each other. So you have some natural built-in chemistry there. I do work because I've been doing the research on the, the, the coaches that do leave Bama since Nick Saban has started this historic run that go on to be head coaches. And it's weird, man. It seems like the longer you stay with Saban, the more you learn from Saban. Mm-hmm. and that Kirby Smart, right, he's the best of that group. That from talking about from the Saban years at Bama. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher was before that. Yeah. Uh, but at Bama, since he established that, and everybody's been poaching his coaches, and he's got the coaching car wash, it seemed like the coaches that stayed with him a little bit longer may benefited from extracting more knowledge and getting more of the blueprint. you got to think about with Saban. This is what I worry about with Sark, because Saban is Belichickian. You know, in every way, mm-hmm. especially the way he handles are a covert, clandestine organization. I did watch
1: that HBO special right? with those two. Those mm-hmm. guys
2: don't share knowledge. Like literally, Bill Belichick went into a Super Bowl, didn't start the starting corner. They still don't know why. <laughs> the defensive coordinator doesn't know why. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the all-time greatest quarterback in the history of football doesn't know why the starting quarter cornerback didn't play in that Super Bowl. Come on now, this guy carries around a playbook with him that nobody has access to. They say it's thick, huge. That he's been clipping from from football playbooks for the last 30 years. Nobody can see it, by the way. Nobody has access to it but Bill Belichick. He, the, Spygate, dude. They they found out later. Spygate wasn't one or two videotapes. It was a surveillance room that he had yeah. that basically was filled with surveillance footage from from teams from going back for a three, four, five years. The way he's a historian younger.
0: and has the biggest collection yeah. of football books, they said that that's how expensive that's how his yeah, video. Was here's so, here's my,
1: the other Belichick thing, real quick, Rod. Like, Ernie Adams is no longer with the Patriots. He was Belichick's right
0: hand man.
2: Yeah. Does anybody still know what the hell Ernie no, Adams did? No. But he was crucial. Yeah. It was crucial, but nobody knows. <laughs> like, and he either. fell on the sword at the <laughs> yeah.
0: after everything. Yeah.
2: He was so, Belichick's guy. Yeah. I don't know what the hell he did. Exactly. And we know that Saban's been on the record saying, I, I'm really tired of these coaches who are leaving. I'm glad they're leaving. But then they come back and poach my coaches. I'm upset about that. He's made that public. So if he's if he said it above, that means he's really freaking upset about mm-hmm. it. I, I don't think Saban gives up everything to these guys. I think no. they work like the I think he works like the CIA. Yes. You 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 know your role. It's like, it's like the, the military. You know your role. You have no idea what the higher-ups, what their goal mm-hmm. is. Yeah. You just do your damn job. He's got it set up like that. And he never reveals it. Like, that's why Kirby Smart got the most out of him. And that's why he was really hurt by the Kirby Smart move to go poach coaches and come, you know, it, obviously poach recruits and all that kind of stuff. And who's almost beating him? All, all the assistants that left for Mamma. It's Kirby because yeah. Kirby knows him more. The only reason he ended up beating Kirby is he pulled out two of that time right in the fourth mm. quarter. Then, he, is it, that
1: can I can I interrupt real quick? Because yeah, because you have more intimate knowledge about the league than I do, and then this is fascinating to me. Is that the difference then? Like I know Belichick's from the Parcells tree. Is that the difference then? The knowledge shared. Why it seems like more Bill Walsh guys have success. Andy Reid, it's not my just yeah, that. Yeah, I've stated that
2: several times. You want if you have a great coaching you're open. You got to be an open book. You have to share. Bill Walsh did commentary, mm-hmm. wrote books, public speaking, considered himself professorial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Bill Parcells loved to hold court with the media. He enjoyed did the conversation. Show, enjoyed the conversation. Also, Parcells was a media guy. Did broadcasting. <laughs> Andy Reid's very open. Loves to share. Everybody Belichick, loves to around be. and They don't no, he enjoy don't that comment. doing press conferences. He's not sharing anything. He's not yeah. a guy that shares. And and that's why it's a
0: wasted time for him.
2: Exactly. So he doesn't. Exactly. He needs to
0: get back to studying and go football. look at
2: all of Belichick's assistants, other than Saban. I'm talking about since he started figuring it out yeah. there with the Patriots. And maybe and that Flores. Run.
0: And Flores was there for a long
2: time though. Maybe he's, a, he's exactly. He was there long enough. He's just which Kirby which smart Belichick couldn't. He, he couldn't help but share. He had to share with him after a while. I think. And Bill O'Brien may be successful. I don't know. We'll see because he's going to be with Saban now. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> but my point is that that's what I'm worried about with with Sark. Yeah. Sark was only with Saban. For a couple of years, Mm -hmm. and how much did you extract from the GOAT? Mm -hmm. Did you get enough? Did you get—and I like that you're bringing assistants because they got their own—they extracted their own knowledge from the GOAT, but— you got to be around him a long time to really get the goal. I like Sark. Though, I don't know been, if he got the gold. He has yeah. a, at least to pluck, though, from a
0: Sabin, from a Carroll. Like, there is something under Sark's tree that he's had uh, at least many different areas to pull from. So it's not the same, but it's one that you at least have a guy that's more versed than, say, a guy like Herman, that it came from the one Sark, Urban, and that was Sark it. But Sark
2: didn't evolve, though, until he got to Atlanta. He had yeah, no, up with Kyle right. Flood. His offense changes. Offensive... Blueprint, his offensive DNA starts to evolve. It goes to Bama. It evolves even more with the RPO-based game. Mm-hmm. So
0: That's X's it, and O's.
2: Exactly. So yeah. Pete Carroll, I'm sure he learned some things from Pete Carroll. I'm not sure exactly what. But he's evolved since him and Kyle Flood got mm-hmm. together. So, I do have concerns that Kim and Kyle Flood are kind of the magic, that's kind of the magic elixir, yeah. those two guys being together. And how much did you extract from Saban in those two years you were there with him? And I guess
0: what I meant by Carol was more of the relationship, the way that he interacts with his players. No, I no, see I would, that oh, with Sark, where the away from X's yes, and O's, yes, but yes, the totally running uh, college program yes, type person. Totally agree.
1: It's almost brilliant, though, Rod, than the way Nick Sabin does it now, because if you look at the guys that have come through there that have gone on to be head coaches. Lane Kiffin, Mike Loxley, whoever it is, it's mostly guys that have needed to come to him to re, kind of reinvent themselves. Yeah, this is true. So it's almost like you're not, and he's bringing guys in. Like, he knows Bill O'Brien's not going to be there but for maybe a year or two. And hmm. and that's different because O'Brien's a Belichick guy, whatever. Yep. But it's almost set up to where I don't have to have too, too intimate a knowledge of what I do with these guys because they're not going to be here but for a year or two.
2: Yeah, it seems that way. Mm -hmm. And and, and we talk about coaching turnover has has hurt Texas, has not hurt Bama. It's helped them. They've had more coaching turnover than any team in the country and – they haven't missed him. You said it's actually helped them. He's actually built it now into the, 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 the program model. Because Saving <laughs> knows like, what he wants. Yeah.
0: It's it's, 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 it's a good
2: No, it really it's amazing, man.
0: It's, it's not amazing. forced um, turnover, it's turnover wanna, out of via success.
1: I want to yeah. get to this before we get out of here, and this is some five star numbers. So Chris Hummer, this is also part of the data study he did uh looking at twenty four seven sports composite five stars signed starting with the two thousand eight class through the the, the, the uh, draft eligible class, which would be the 18 class. So basically Ten years of twenty four seven sports five composite five star prospects. Um, the, I just want to share these Nick Saban numbers with you. You ready? So Chris starts it with two thousand eight because that was Nick Saban's first full recruiting class. Yeah. And I mentioned Bama because this is this is where everybody should be striving to get, especially if you're a, a program like Texas. Every recruiting class Nick Saban has signed at Alabama won at least one national championship within three years of stepping on campus. Mm. Every Alabama team from 2008 to 2020 spent at least one week ranked number one in the AP poll. Nick Saban's won six national championships in 14 years. That's more national titles than all but 18 FBS programs have in their history. And at Bama, none of Nick Saban's national titles have been split.
2: <laughs> this it, is
1: the one that the last one that blows my like mind. To share. Nick Saban. Has produced 39 first round picks at Alabama. (laughs) He's lost 23 games. So he's got almost double the number of first round picks as losses. Freaky, man. That takes me to Chris Hummer's five star study, which Alabama, they've signed 41 24 7 sports composite five star prospects since 2008. Of the draft eligible guys, 48.8% of them have gone in the first round. 75.3 – over three-quarters of them have been drafted. It's crazy, man. You look at the schools that signed 11 programs in that span, signed 10 or more five-star recruits. Texas signed 14. Texas has the lowest percent drafted in the first round and the lowest percent drafted overall. One draft in the first round, that was Malcolm Brown, 28.6% that were drafted. And, guys, Mm. when we talk about development, this is something that I brought up on my show. I don't know how much you talked about it on your show. But and maybe this is something we carry over and talk about next week. As a matter of fact, if you guys want to, we'll have to. One aspect of the like you said, Rod, development, it's that hydra. Like it's got multiple, multiple heads on it. Injury prevention and in and, and management
2: oh, yeah.
1: is a big part of this because look at these five star guys. I can four four or five stars that were not drafted, that had significant injuries either during their career or that were unearthed during the draft process that made them undraftable. Jackson Jeffcoat, who that. still managed to get a cup of coffee in the league. Yeah. Jonathan CFO. Gray with the Achilles. Yep. Mason Walters with his knees. Mm-hmm. And Steve Edmond, I think, had a knee that just would not pass muster with the with the league. Uh, guys that were not drafted, period. Um, and two of these guys were productive players. Malcolm Brown, the running back, who we talked about. Mm-hmm. Second contract. Mike Davis. Oh
2: yeah, Robert you see. look at
1: the receiver numbers at Texas yeah. and Mike Davis in the top five of damn near every category. Came at a category. bad
2: time, man. Offensive identity crisis, quarterback hell.
1: And then to your point about evaluation misses, I'll own this one because I was a big fan of his at the time. Reggie Wilson was not drafted.
2: Oh, the DN. I'll own, <laughs> I will own that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Your yeah. your lone first round pick was uh, was Malcolm Brown at defensive tackle, but think about injuries. Even these guys got drafted. Jordan Hicks. A couple of Ste- significant yeah. Even
2: injuries. in the league, was dealing with mm-hmm. injuries.
1: Yeah. Malik Jefferson. Yep. Seemed like he, he was always dealing with something. Another guy who seemed like he was always dealing with something. Caden Stearns.
2: Yeah. Those are your five star oh, guys. DJ Foster. I'm not even drafting him. I'm just saying, right now, yeah. DJ mm-hmm. yeah. injury.
1: And then you're, really? you you had three of three of your 14 tra- transfer Garrett Gilbert, Darius White, Darius James. And even then, Darius James had yeah, multiple foot injuries. I
2: was going to say, yeah. You know,
1: yeah. Garrett, yeah. Garrett Gilbert ended his career. Well, I forgot. What did he hear? Shoulder? Rota- rotator cuff. Gilbert mm-hmm. had the rotator cuff
2: mm-hmm. that yep, he had it.
1: surgery on before he transferred. So, <laughs> damn near all your five star guys suffered some sort of injury that was incapacitating, required surgery, okay. something. The, tra- the training staff, yeah. the strength staff, that is a big challenge for Sark. You've got cool. to figure out, and especially, like, when it's one part of the body. Like, you remember, like, the Benny Wiley, Jeff Madden cluster, you know what? We're seeing, like, guys yeah. were going through, like, groin injuries. Soft tissue yep. that injuries. one, like, well, yeah. it was a 2012, I think. damn felt like everybody had some kind of groin injury in yeah. camp. Under Tom Herman, everybody had shoulder, shoulder injuries. Mm-hmm. When it's one part of the body, there was that one year where everybody seemed like they were having pec tears. Mm-hmm. Anytime it's one part of the body, that's when I really start to question, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Something's got to be going wrong. Sark's got to figure that out. That's a great point.
2: That I agree with you. And we've seen that through different regimes, too.
1: Yeah. Sark's got to get that figured out. Is it guys not willing to go to treatment? It,
2: do, you, do you not have... The kind of medical personnel that you need is it not enough rest for the guys when they are working out? Like, yeah, is it too intense? Uh, is, it the week? In is, the heat, is it the heat in Austin? Is it practices? I don't, I like don't that, know. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a great point. That's another thing you got to figure out as a coach. What I said, you got to be a problem solver. Yeah, you got to figure out, you got to lay out all these problems and go, All right, are these things connected? Can we solve one that will help us solve? You know, three other problems. Can we do that or do we have to take all of these things one at a time, individually address them specifically, and then hopefully we'll get to the point where, all right, we we see some return on that investment I'm with you. I think it's a lot of different factors, man. I'm really interested to see how they address it.
0: And in that same vein, and it is a lot of factors. Just add another one on. I really think on offense, yeah, a lot of it can be connected to an offensive line. And when you don't have any offensive line production, it can cause so much more to be exerted. You know, quarterbacks, running backs, and like not only are you off rhythm or you're getting hit when you're unexpected, but you may be having to, you know, pick up up for others' weaknesses across the board. So just so if you Want to find an unhealthy football team, and I'm not talking even say necessarily via injuries, just an unhealthy performance on the field. It's going to start with the bad O line, and Texas hasn't had a line play for over a decade. As we
1: sit here this morning, and again, a teaser. Te- this will be a teaser for next week. Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio article, which, other than Chris Hummer's development rate, that's my mm-hmm. other favorite article that drops yep. on the network every year. Uh, that article dropped this morning So I'm going to take some time to digest it But we're talking about five-star guys We're talking about development Longhorn fans, I'm going to give you four guys To track this year and for the next few years Because these four guys are going to give you A really big clue on how Sark is A developing blue-chip talent These are four 24-7 sports composite Five-star guys you've got on your roster for 2021 A guy you just mentioned B.J. Foster is mm-hmm. one of them Jordan Whittington one of them mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about injury prevention and yeah. Management
2: Both of those guys
1: B. John Robinson,
2: yeah, that seems easy. Yeah, he's a scorpion. And Edut- Jatavian Sanders, well, playing tight end, and at least Sark says it's the most important position behind quarterback. So, and he is your he's your five two, right? He's the the tight end in that tight end room with the highest ceiling. you know, your Jared Wise and your Kate Brewers. Yeah. They're guys who have elite traits. They have traits, but they don't really have a well-rounded skill set for a tight end. Yeah, what you do with your Tavion Sanders is going to be big, mm-hmm. and you you can't afford to waste that guy. They're you're not very use him use humans offense. like that. Yeah, if you're not going to use him on offense, he needs to be playing defense, because yeah. he can make an impact immediately, because he'd be playing that hybrid outside linebacker, yep. De'Enroe. For
1: every, for every Quandre Diggs or Earl Thomas, a guy that's got that athlete tag yeah, coming to school, for every one of those guys that you do figure it out, you get a a Demarco Cobb's or a Drew Kelson, oh, where you never
0: you never really figure it out.
2: At least Drew Kelson mm. played. At least I Drew Kelson
0: sick. won the championship. Game yeah, I was for like, us. Like, he was giving you like, like he literally covered reps. Reggie Bush. Demarco
2: Cobb. About, it was a it was a track star, right? He, he was, was like a, a ten five hundred meter guy. He was a, a linebacker? Cor- high school quarterback. Mm. Yeah. I, we think about that. He, 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 perfect for a a hybrid linebacker in the new age big twelve. Oh yeah, he too. was ahead of his time. He was ahead of his think time.
1: Think about like think about that ninety six yard touchdown run Damian Williams had in the Oklahoma game. Yeah. Marco Cobb's almost ran like had a terrible angle and almost ran, ran him down.
2: down. Yep, guys, we just didn't know what to do with. Huh? Yeah, that's a good one. I remember. I still remember Nick Saban uh, before the national title game in two thousand ten. They asking what players he's concerned about. He brought up, but two five was in eighty four and
1: twenty six with the two he brought up. DJ
2: Monroe up, and Marky's Goodwin was DJ the other one. Yeah, he a DJ Monroe. I, remember, I was like, <laughs> yeah, DJ Monroe Speaking. never never came close to his ceiling. It yeah, says, but uh, can never I, came can I close. Tell
1: before we get out of here, can I tell the DJ Monroe story that uh, I was that was relayed to me by a staff member at the time? I'll go ahead. I think it was the twenty ten season. Maybe it was ten. Mm. They were going to play K State in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and they gave DJ Monroe five plays that week and allegedly they got to Manhattan, he forgot four of them. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the ball, coach.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. That's just,
1: such as life.
2: So, hey, he wouldn't be the first Longhorn that, that – freaking couldn't figure out plays, and a lot of those guys ended up as All-Americans, okay? You figure out a way. Are right, You making it hand, easy on him? It's Forrest Gump. Hand exactly, him the ball and go. He runs a 4-3. Nick Saban says okay. he's worried about him. Give him the damn ball. I don't care if he remembers one play. Keep running the same damn play There, Just switch sides of the ball. I mean, Forrest oh, oh, literally man.
0: runs for 240 oh. yards in Nick TV.
2: Saban's concerned about him. What are you doing? <laughs> right? mm. What are you talking What is there to discuss? Marky's Goodwin
1: was the fastest man in the NFL. And mm-hmm. he
2: didn't get maximized until Major Applewhite told him at the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> the very last game. The last game, game he said, hey, drink some Red Bull. We're coming to tell you all night long. And he just kept running nine routes down the field. And, of course, the DB just couldn't run with him. Yeah. Nobody can run with him. I would just max protect a back Cheetah couldn't run with him. I would them. run max protection and just, just go run past the secondary. And we're just going to basically throw Hail Marys up to you. Two a quarter. Cause I know he he needed get a PI because somebody would grab him, mm-hmm. or he'd run past the secondary. We either way. What I always say: you plant the seed of insecurity in a DB's mind when you run past him like there that. Was, you completed curl routes all damn day after that. You know, there's a lot of
1: there's uh, a lot of comparisons you can draw between Marquise Goodwin and Eric Metcalf. At least when Eric Metcalf played at Texas, granted the talent level was way down from where it was a mm-hmm. few years prior. At least when Eric Metcalf was at Texas, they force fed him the football. Yeah, he got the usage. He was so <laughs> damn fast. <I'm> like, <laughs> That's the most frustrating thing, I think, one. for
0: all fans anywhere. Oh, you,
1: he's you he's can the only he, Him and, and, you don't him give and it Chris Obenai are the only 40 40 guys, right?
0: They're
2: the only 40 Eric Metcalf did it twice. That's crazy. He did 30 40. He did it twice. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think at one time we had Marquis Goodman, DJ rowe on on campus. Hell, that might have been one of the fastest teams Texas ever had, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's that, that was, that was a world class speed, guys.
1: Yeah. Where, where
2: was the J? When was the J? He replaced. Uh, yeah,
1: 12 on 2012.
0: All, all three of those guys would have been. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: we didn't know how to use him. <laughs> we didn't know how to use either one of them, and we had all those guys.
0: <laughs> Just yeah. run fly routes and throw it up. Just fly routes and throw oh, it up. Oh okay. God! Remember, yeah. remember,
1: DeJay got the, the 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 week after the OU game in 12, the Baylor game.
0: Oh yeah, that first touch. I don't know Ooh. that I've ever
1: seen a guy go like 80 yards and nobody puts a hand on him.
0: Yeah, it. He's 85 yeah. yards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he ended up being a rapper, did he? Well, the thing bit, about yeah. DeJay,
1: he had a couple of major injuries, and then, like, a couple years, a couple years ago, he goes to Pro Day and runs, like, sub 4-4. Four four. Faster
2: like, than everybody. I know. <laughs> it's like the offense forgot about him, too. Like, I don't know. At one point, he was considered a focal point, but then they just forgot about him over the years. Just uh, let him waste away. You,
1: you, you'd get forgotten, Rod, right in that 2015 Texas offense.
2: And then the running backs you had, too. I mean, you were, that, that, those offenses had talent. They just couldn't oh, yeah. play like with quarterback well, and they exactly. didn't have the O line. That's what we those talked about. Those two things, 15, yeah. But the skill positions
0: yeah. actually were pretty. We're talking easy. about 2013. And I mean, that OU you game, you have, have DeJay. J <laughs> goes 85 yard <laughs> punt return, untouched through traffic. And Marcus <sighs> Johnson has that hey, TD to the corner. Crazy. I say man. it all the
1: time the 2014 Texas offense had three NFL tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> this one, of, one of them was playing quarterback, but yep. still though, yeah, three NFL tight oh, ends.
2: all right. Like Three said, tight ends with no tight ends. Like I said earlier in the show,
1: sometimes you got to laugh to keep from crying when you talk about this program.
2: Sark won't allow that to happen. I think the days of us seeing DJ Monroe's and DJ and Marquise Goodwin's, go without getting the ball and targets, those days are done. That's one thing I think Sark will do, common sense stuff that the other guys just couldn't figure out. Yeah. Force feed the football to your best-man players. <laughs> you
1: talk talking about <laughs> like what DJ got to the point, like, man, if he can't touch it on a return or a jet sweep, he ain't probably, gonna he probably
2: he ain't going to see the ball. They thought they had no other way to give him the football. And it's like, all right. Strange times, man. Here oh,
1: we well, I yeah. really hope for our sake. that we, You guys realize we've been doing this podcast almost
2: a decade now, and it's just been oh, yeah. a lot of the same. It's been, a, <laughs> it's been Groundhog Day. And mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that we've basically been repeating ourselves every three years. I feel like, uh, yeah. can we say this Full about Full circle, <laughs> I brought up
0: baby steps to open the show. That's exactly right. So, what
2: about
1: Bob? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. All that's going to do it. We'll, uh, we'll talk about Bud Elliott's Blue Chip Ratio article next week and uh, get into more. Uh, I want to get into some schedule talk next week, too. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Texas
2: supposedly has a top ten toughest schedule in the country based on either FPI, Football Power Index. I think they're fourth for the FPI. And then I saw a twenty four seven ranking. I forgot exactly um, who did the it. They had him in the top it was ninth, I think. They Had him ninth on there. Damn, like, people Crawford, think conference schedule. Brad yeah.
1: Crawford put that together. Yeah, yeah. And so think, just think about this question as we get ready to go. And we're getting we're getting ready to go into uh, our Fourth of July holiday, which there will be some production things mm-hmm. we got to work through with us taking some time off. And Rod's got something something pretty big coming up at the end of the summer too. That. That's gonna you know, 100%. force us to re- rearrange the recording schedule but we will happily do that so think about this as a teaser for next week. How good is the Big 12 going to be in 2021? twenty one? Don't answer now let it marinate mm. and we'll tackle that next week. Okay. Matt thanks for everything man.
0: You're more than welcome.
1: Rod B appreciate the time and the knowledge.
0: Anytime brother. Anytime. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019-AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on that triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Same as Buck. You can get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud
0: page. Yep, just type in Longhorn
1: Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast, and click the subscribe button. You get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a review. Five stars would be preferable if you'd be so kind to click that button. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howell. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday. Experience
0: it with your whole family.
2: Can we do it again?
0: If Ready PG.